I am going to introduce Luke Schaefer, who's giving our reflection and speaking this morning. And our theme for the last few weeks has been seeking the peace of Washtenaw County. And we've been asking questions of justice in our context, um, exploring like place, sort of physically, geographically speaking. And, uh, you know, this is a place where many of us live and work. Um, we are also sort of nested in our place here in Washtenaw County within the state of Michigan and also within the larger country and the world. And so the ways in which um, we are connected at these various levels of scale. And so for some of these reasons, um, we invited Luke Schaefer to come and share with us about his work. Uh, and I'm just gonna give a brief introduction um, because there are a number of cool things that one could share about um, Luke and his work. Uh, he is a faculty at the Ford School and in the School of Social Work at the University of Michigan and has leadership positions there, as well as being the inaugural director of Poverty Solutions, which is a university-wide initiative um, that addresses poverty-related issues and tries to identify solutions to those um, uh, in Michigan, but also in other places. He has done work and research around the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit, and so um when we think sometimes that problems like poverty are very intractable i mean one of the things that we know from across the pandemic which luke's work was a part of is that um, the expanded child tax credit reduced childhood poverty um uh, you know by about half um, in the years that it was expanded and so we do have some tools for uh for these problems and he's also the co-author of two books one is two dollars a day living on almost nothing and the second is and is connected to sort of the themes and the topics that we've invited him to speak about the second book is called the injustice of place uncovering the legacy of poverty in america um, so thanks for joining us and welcome Thanks, Terry. Uh, when I think about the colleagues that I respect the most at the University of Michigan, it's usually people who are doing rigorous research and also having an impact on the world. And Terry Friedline is one of the great examples that we have at U of M. And uh, I also, of course, have to say, give a shout out to Trevor, who I get to work with at Poverty Solutions. Uh, you know, we say he works at Poverty Solutions, but uh, I think his primary role is as a pillar of the community in Washtenaw County. So, so much of the great stuff happening for justice uh, in Washtenaw County, Trevor's playing a role in. So, and of course, Susan, uh, every time I talk to my mom who worked with her as a uh, um, organizer, she just talks about how wonderful Susan is and how much she wishes Susan was her child instead of me. Uh, actually, <laughs> she, she doesn't say that. It's, it's sort of silently implied. <laughs> um, I came to my work in poverty and uh, in the United States through my faith life. Uh, I grew up uh, a preacher's kid, and for a while I thought I might be called to the ministry. It turns out I think that call was to be the spouse of uh, a minister, which is a very important role. My wife is an Episcopal priest. Um, but uh, I remember at some point being sort of struck by the fact that, uh, gosh, it seemed like Jesus spent an awful lot of time talking about caring for the poor. 
Uh, and uh, in fact, it seemed to me like maybe he spent a great deal more time talking about that than many of the things that at least my uh, church was arguing about at the time, which was usually sexuality and money. Uh, um, so uh, I decided that a big way that I would live out my call uh, into my faith tradition was to try to be a part of uh, preventing and alleviating poverty and connecting people. And I think part of that was also driven by the fact that um, we went through very, very lean times in my family, uh, but we also had an extended family who we could call upon when we couldn't make ends meet. And so I recognized myself as maybe uh, definitely not like middle class, but perhaps not poor. And that was, I think, my first introduction to the sense of compounded uh, inequality, where um, my income definitely meant I was poor, but I was in social networks that had more money. And so we were able not to have to go to the welfare office, but uh, we could go to grandma and grandpa. And that is very much delineated by uh, race and ethnicity in the United States and all sorts of other positionalities. So um, what does Jesus say about caring for the poor? He says a great deal. And if I, if I were to offer sort of one shortcoming of uh, Jesus's uh, ministry, it was that uh, he sort of, he left the stage early of, through no fault of his own, obviously. But, uh, you know, it does turn out these things can be kind of complicated and he doesn't, he doesn't offer, you know, us a, a whole lot of a roadmap of how to, um, design a society that will live out in that call. It's sort of, I'm sometimes reminded of um, the Hamilton line, uh, when George Washington's talking to Alexander Hamilton of uh, dying is easy, living is harder. But we won't, um, obviously it's not his fault and we won't uh, begrudge him for that. Um, I think he sort of very clearly says that we should, uh, we should care for the poor materially so there is maybe a, a, a big debate about, you know, uh, give a man a fish, teach a man to fish. And it, it seems pretty clear that like Jesus is giving the fish and maybe he's also teaching to fish, but I think there's a very clear call to say, uh, we should, we should um, intercede to reduce suffering uh, throughout his teachings. And then everything else can flow after that, but you need to do that. And as Terry mentioned, the, the thing that I, I got to do that I'm, I'm most proud of at this point in my career is to be a part of uh, actually designing the expanded child tax credit and then getting to watch what happened. And there are so many people in, uh, who played roles, but it was very special to me to have to gotten to be a part of sort of thinking that through and then to see that we really could reduce child poverty. You know, we could bring millions and millions of children out of poverty. And in the United States, we could cut the number of families who were reporting they had trouble putting food on the table to the historic low uh, for a year. And um, close to Terry's work that we could actually improve the credit score. So at the end of uh, 2021, the number of Americans with bad credit actually fell to an all-time low and, and bank accounts had more given them. So that was a fairly simple policy. It sort of started with the logic that um, uh, raising kids is expensive and society has a reason to come alongside parents in that work. And it provided a small amount of money every month to do that. And families used it to buy food and pay down their debt and do all of the things that um, made them better off materially. 
And sometimes I think that we're so uh, focused on bad news that um, we're so focused on the fact that like everything is intractable that we sometimes miss these incredible moments, right? There's, there's nothing more, like I can't imagine something that was more of a transformational change than to say that we could lift 4 million children out of poverty, we could cut food hardship to the lowest level by far we'd ever had, we could improve people's credit scores, all with a very simple, simplistically elegant policy. So, so maybe, maybe it's not that complicated, maybe we make it complicated and I was being too hard on Jesus. Um, but uh, I think he definitely also calls us to go beyond the material. The material is like incredibly important, but he very clearly seems to be calling us into relationship. You think about who he's hanging out with and what he's doing. Um, I'm thinking of the tax collector up in the tree. I'm thinking of the woman at the well. I'm thinking of like a really motley clue, crew of disciples, right? He's not spending his time. In fact, he's, I think, making a very clear political statement and not spending his time with the movers and shakers of society, the people who could like shift power. Uh, he's spending it with people at the margins of society. And I think he's allowing himself, like in the conversation with the woman in the well, to, to be impacted. Uh, to like be in conversation and to have a little tit for tat, if you will, or um, be to, to break bread with someone, which is a very intimate thing to do. And so that's a part of his call that sort of goes beyond this material. I think it's not in Jesus's teachings to just provide for people uh, so that they have food on the table. It's to um, share some meals together and be impacted. But our uh, society actually makes that like really, really difficult. We, as you could see from the map, uh, the map was a real wake up call for me, at least, because I'd spent most of my time researching poverty in places like Chicago, to the extent that I connected with anybody uh, outside of my, my very nice office at the University of Michigan, you know, I would go to Chicago and I, I learned a lot in terms of being in connection with people in, in Chicago, um, in Cleveland, a lot of our books about poverty are, are in New York. And when you really look at all of these different indicators of income and poverty, life expectancy, where you can see these huge disparities across place, there, there's, uh, you know, within small geographic spaces here in Washtenaw County, you have over a, a decade difference in how long somebody could expect to live. Um, and not just that, actually, we have big differences in people's prospects. So in some places in the United States, if you grow up poor, you're just as likely to raise, rise to the middle class as anyone else. And in some places, if you grow up poor, you're probably going to be poor as an adult. So um, we have to overcome that. But I think we have to overcome that to be in conversation to both impact, but also be impacted right? To be in relationship means to have that sort of mutual possibility. And uh, in this book, uh, The Injustice of Place, I think I got to do a little bit of that. We spent time in a, a, a series of very, very, very poor places uh, that corresponded with the darkest blue parts of Trevor's, the, of the map that Trevor put up. And uh, we would go out and talk to families who were low income. We would talk to community leaders. 
we would be a part of community events. And the interesting thing about that book is almost none of it is something that I thought I was going to be writing about before I actually went out and talked to the families. I did not expect to write a chapter on government corruption and how it relates to the perpetuation of poverty and how it is about uh, a set of circumstances that have caused poverty to persist and enrich some people while leaving others not. Um, and certainly when we got to Clay County, Kentucky and started talking to people about the opioid epidemic, I did not expect to sort of time and time again hear uh, this um, answer of what should we do, right? What should we do? The opioid epidemic has not abated, it has changed, but we still have as many people dying from opioid overdoses as we did more. We're at an all time high right now. Um, and time and time again, talking to uh, low-income families and community leaders, we heard uh, this thing, there's nothing else to do but drugs. Kids had, don't have anything to do. People don't have anywhere to turn. And, and frankly, when I heard that in interviews the first couple of times, I had a hard time taking it seriously. How could that possibly explain um, uh, opioid addiction, right? We have all these much more sophisticated things, but, when you hear it over and over again, like if you are going to be in relationship, uh, which I think is a part of our call in our faith tradition, uh, you have to start taking it seriously. So we started to look at the research and all of it's circumstantial, but um, it's all pretty strong. And uh, you, some of you may remember the famous book Bowling Alone. Uh, I think the contribution we're trying to make is it's not just so much that people are bowling alone anymore it's that there's no bowling alley right and the bowling alley is this place of social infrastructure where across sort of any divide we can actually come together and at least be in the same space with each other and we can have like pretty cheap fun cheap fun right is the the thing um so maybe it's playgrounds, maybe it's playgrounds that actually get people from different neighborhoods if we're economically segregated hanging out together. There's a couple of those in Washtenaw County, County Farm Park, I think is one where there's actually, it's, it's enough of a cool place that people from all over the city um, in the county come there. Uh, uh, arcades. So as, as the number of arcades decline in a community, the number of opioid deaths go up. And uh, arcades are different from sort of hanging out in your house playing video games, right, because of that social connection. And then um, one of my favorites is actually from um, uh, animal research. So if you'll, if you'll allow me to sort of extrapolate human behavior to rats. So it turns out if a, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a fair comparison, although we've all thought it, right, uh, at some point. So uh, if a little rat is uh, isolated in his cage and we give him access to drugs, he will almost definitely use the drugs. He will probably get addicted and many times will kill himself, he will overdose. But in, in laboratory experiments time and time again, if you give the little rat other rat friends and you give them fun stuff in the cage to do, they uh, almost none will become addicted and uh, a grand total of zero will die of an overdose, right? So this protective factor, right, of all of the things of being connected to each other, 
um, the synapses, right, when we have a great conversation or we meet someone new who um, we like can protect us. And uh, maybe drugs is actually a substitute for that, right? It's what we're going for uh, when we don't when we don't have that. And I think these two things sort of cascade with one another. But um, in the end, it sort of creates this really interesting policy idea, which is that uh, maybe if we want to counteract uh, the opioid epidemic or drug epidemic, we should be actually investing in places for people to gather together and have a little fun and do our best to try to figure out how do we get people there. Part of getting them there is making sure what we build is actually what they want. And so that takes us back to listening. Um, I'm doing this other thing that I'm incredibly excited about right now, which I think targets place-based disadvantage uh, in Flint, Michigan. So I'm working with uh, Mona Hanna Atisha. She uh, is known for turning the tide on the Flint water crisis. Uh, by doing rigorous research that changed the world. And uh, she wanted to, she was connecting with families and saying, what should we do next in Flint? And they were saying, uh, it's so incredibly hard to make ends meet, uh, especially in raising kids, we want a little bit of help. And so out of that evolved something called Rx Kids, which will be the first ever universal uh, infant and prenatal cash allowance program for families with infants. So what does that mean? Starting in January of 2024, every expectant mom will get $1,500 in pregnancy to use to buy cribs, to uh, buy diapers, buy wipes, car seats, whatever it is, uh, to prepare for the incredible cost of having a baby, and then $500 a month for the first year of life. So starting in January 2024, we are going to eliminate deep poverty among families with infants in Flint, Michigan. And besides that, Flint is becoming, it could become a national leader in how we come along our, our families with kids. So it's, it's, I actually, it's very hard for me to talk about without getting very excited um, and happy about it. Um, but just bringing it back to uh, what we're talking about today, in preparation for that, we had a meeting with a lot of moms in Flint. And one of our hopes is that the, by calling the program Rx Kids, um, by the one thing you have to do to start to receive it is to verify that you're pregnant, we are hoping to draw moms into prenatal care faster. And uh, that is a very good goal because we have these huge disparities, right? And um, uh, birth outcomes and mom outcomes. And so if we can get families more connected quicker, um, that'll be important. But uh, the thing that we heard by asking questions at this group uh, with moms was every single mom had um, called to the single hospital system, Hurley Hospital System, which is doing their best. And um, they experienced uh, like a three month delay from the time they called to when they were able to get an appointment. So every single one had experienced this three month delay. Most of them had had a bad run in with the front office staff at the hospital. So, um, I was sort of primed to think, oh, I, we can financially incentivize moms to get into prenatal care, uh, which I still think there's some truth to, but 
you know, what wasn't on my radar was the systems of the fact that many, many, many moms are calling and can't get in for three months uh, because of, of what's available to them. So uh, we have great relationship with the CEO of the health system. We're able to sort of take that message and hopefully uh, make a change. But it was an insight that could only happen because we stopped to uh, talk through it with people with direct experience and we're hopefully able to make our systems work better. So living into Jesus's call to care for the poor requires a deeper commitment than just providing for them materially, although the importance of that cannot be overstated. But Jesus clearly requires us to do more, to be in relationship with each other as humans, just as he was with the woman at the well, the tax collector, and so many others. Our society makes this immeasurably hard Yet recognizing the humanity of those that are kept at the margins of communities and allowing us to be shaped by them is in my view, a radical tenant of our faith and a call that I will continue to try to live into and I think succeed sometimes and fail others in my personal and professional life and invite you to do the same. Thank you.